You're listening to the Redemption Church Podcast as we go through our Christmas series called God With Us. All right, turn your Bibles to Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1, we'll get into it. Uh, It is one of the last weeks we can say Merry Christmas. You can start Christmas early, but after the new year, it's very hard to say Merry Christmas to people. So Merry Christmas from Redemption Church, for me, my family, to yours, all those in the room and those listening. Uh, Really, I do pray that your Christmas was more than just gifts, that you got the presence of God with you, that you were reminded of his grace. And, um, you know, sometimes it can be overwhelming with so many parties and different things and budgeting and gifts to actually stop, pause, do nothing, and just recognize the favor of God in your life. And I pray that that is for you, that you uh, found the favor of God and peace and joy and just were reminded um, of God's grace. That's why Christmas is so awesome. I love it. It's like, it's a holy day. You just do nothing and enjoy grace and uh, favor and good meals and family and friends. And there's something special about that, that God would give that to us just as a gift. And we know for us as Christians that Christmas is about Christ and the gospel of Jesus Christ, how we actually are entered into his presence and this good news that we get to celebrate, not because we're so awesome or do a lot of things, but because God has favor and gifts for us. He's the giver of all good gifts, and he gave his son, Jesus, to become man, to bear our shame, to die on a cross for our sin, to uh, rise again and have victory over sin, death. Uh, man, we just have so many blessings. The Bible would say all spiritual blessings are found in Christ. And so we want to orient our heart around Christ tonight as we look to God's word, as we think about Christmas uh, for Mark chapter one is today we'll be concluding our series with a series we've been calling God with us. God with us. It's a very important subject. It's a real subject. It's something that comes with us, not just in the season of Christmas, but is highlighted in Christmas. And what we've been doing is uh, we've been looking at each chapter of uh, the first chapter of each gospel and looking at the life of Christ and, and, and each one has their own angle and bent, but we're, we're just asking, what does that look like, God with us? What does the scripture say about that? Um, and Because we not only wanna talk about the birth of Christ, but we wanna talk about the implications. What does that mean for us today? The, the effects of Jesus' life. And we can say the reason why Jesus came really was to give us his presence through his spirit. And the Spirit of Christ is with us now through the gospel. And so today I want to talk to you about the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. The presence and power of the Holy Spirit as we get Mark's vantage point, as we get um, his sort of beginning of the gospel or the life of Jesus Christ. And so we'll read verses 1 through 15. Uh, And so, um, you know, we've been covering each chapter and and Mark has a unique chapter, uh, so much so that he skips the birth of Christ. Interesting. We'll get there, okay? Uh, And so let's look at how Mark starts out his gospel, focusing not on the birth of Christ, but the Spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit, and his role that he has in our lives. And so Mark chapter 1, verses 1 through 15, we'll read it and pray and discuss it and study it together. It says, The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Now this was speaking of John, and it says, John appeared, baptizing him in the wilderness, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. 
And all the country of Judea and Jerusalem were going out to him. So he was having a response in this town, in his ministry. And they were baptized, being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now in verse 6 it says, John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Now in those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. You are my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Other scripture or text tell us this is God the Father speaking of Jesus. The Spirit in verse 12 immediately drove him out into the wilderness. So the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God drove Jesus into the wilderness. And Jesus, he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild animals and the angels were ministering to him. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Let's pray and let's study this section of scripture together. God, we thank you so much for the story of Christmas, for how it's real, for how you change lives and transform lives. And we just pray, God, as we look at this section of scripture, God, that you would highlight your goodness, your presence, your joy, your character to us. Give us revelation, God. Help us to continue to celebrate Christmas as we look to the person and the power and the work of your spirit. And so, Spirit of God, even right now, teach, proclaim, uh, magnify Jesus, exalt him. We thank you, God, that we can have you, our teacher, and you can minister to us. And so, we need you. We need you to walk in newness of life. We need you to give us revelation. We need to be comforted by you, Lord. We need your presence. Help us what it means to have God with us and to walk with you in this life. And so I thank you for everyone here in the room. I thank you for everyone listening online and watching the video later. We just pray that you would bless them and uh, speak to them and minister to them in the only ways that you can. It's in your name we pray, God. Amen. Amen. I'm glad that you guys are here to study God's word with us. We can always be rely on God's faithfulness and goodness to us as we look to his word and worship with our minds, with looking at what scripture says about Jesus. And the interesting thing about Mark chapter one, you probably already noticed, he starts and says, in the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the son of God, and then he goes into John the Baptist as an adult and Jesus as an adult. He's sort of a killjoy of our Christmas narrative. We got the Christmas tree here. We just sang the carols. Where's the birth? Where are the angels? Mark actually just totally skips it. He skips it. He goes straight into this biography of Jesus with Jesus being an adult. John starts his gospel with Jesus from the beginning. You remember that? The word became flesh and dwelt among us. How love came down in this deity, this God put on flesh who created everything. And so John actually doesn't start as an adult. He starts before the birth. He starts way, way back. Because in him, all things have their existence. And God, creator God, Jesus himself, made everything. 
And he highlights that. He's full of grace and truth and, and he loves us and he, and he, and he highlights that. But, but we see in Luke, Luke, in his gospel, he focuses on two births, not just Jesus, but John the Baptist, the guy that we just read. Because Luke wanted us to know that God wants to be with us. It's not only a fact that he wants to be with us, he proves that he wants to be with us, so he gives prophecy, and he foretells the things to come so we would worship him as God. And he gives this utter vantage point, or this slant. Matthew, Matthew's written to a different audience. It's a Jewish audience, and he starts with genealogy. It's the best reading ever. You can read it in like two seconds, don't know any names, and you feel well accomplished. 17 verses that he starts from Abraham to David, David to the Babylonian kingdom to Jesus and all these genealogies and people in it. And the reason why he does that is because he's trying to show you that this is actually a story that's taken place. It's not a fable. It's not like Santa Claus. It's not something we made up. He's giving you the history and he gives you the effects of Jesus' birth to real people like Joseph and like Mary. But Mark, he skips the whole birth scene completely. He just starts with Jesus' public ministry. In fact, if we kept on reading this chapter, by the end of this chapter, we would see Jesus already has some disciples. He would heal some lepers. He would heal many people. And he would be known as a great preacher, just in chapter one. In fact, Mark is the uh, shortest gospel of all the accounts. It's full of compact stories. Boom, 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 boom. We only have a few verses in some of these paragraphs, but yet other gospel writers give you a whole page more details. And here's what I love about the gospel is about scripture and about this section of scripture particularly. These gospels all talk about Jesus, his biography. That's what a gospel is. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ, giving the life work account of Jesus. But they all have different angles and approaches. Yes, there's an overlap in some of these stories. You get Matthew talking about this and Mark talking about this or Mark and Luke talking about this event. But they all have stories that are unique to themselves that Mark brings up that Matthew doesn't and that Luke brings up that John doesn't. It's interesting how personable these gospels are to this subject of God being with us. Their approach and what they want you to think. John doesn't even start with the birth. He starts with creation. The other person starts with people. The other person starts with the miracles and the prophecy. And now Mark is starting with Jesus directly. You remember John, John had this approach or idea. He wanted to teach us that Jesus is God. So he would start with this idea or approach or this, I don't know if it's an argument, but this case that the deity of Jesus, who he is. And if you look at the gospel of John and read the gospel of John, there's more red letters in the gospel of John than any other gospel. It's a, it's a gospel full of conversation. It's a gospel full of interactions. And we have the most teachings of Jesus to individual peoples. Like people like Nicodemus, where we get for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. Or like Martha, who's grieving and says, I am the resurrection and the life. We find so much truth in these conversations, and John records them so we would have them. But Luke Luke was a doctor, so we have the longest gospel as Luke. He's a doctor. He records eyewitnesses' accounts and gives all these different details, details to the story. You know those people that embellish or that go on? 
You're like, well, get to the point. Luke's like, no, but there was this person, that person, and this, and then it was this time and that. And he sort of like paints a full, well-rounded picture. And then in the beginning of his gospel, he's like, and I didn't see any of it. I just interviewed all these people, compiled it, put it together, gave it to you. And so it's the longest gospel. Matthew, Matthew focuses on Old Testament. If you read Matthew, the thing that the highlights the most, it says, as scripture is written or as it is written. Over and over again, he'll give you a story and then he'll say, and here's the Old Testament that matches it. And he'll give you this story, oh, it's because of this and it happened. And there's so much, as is is written, our prophecy fulfilled through uh, Matthew's gospel because he's trying to show you that Jesus is the Christ or the Jewish word would be Messiah. He wants you to not miss it, that, that this is the one that can save you of your sin. And Mark's gospel, Mark's focus is on action. It's compact. It's like action-packed. There's actually less teaching and more doing in the gospel of Mark. It's jam-packed of what Jesus did. He wanted to speak to the Gentile world to show the power of Christ and the things he did and how powerful Jesus was as the Son of God. So here's Mark's approach when it comes to the Christmas story. He starts not as Jesus is a baby. He starts Jesus as a man his public ministry, and not to start with his birth, but his calling, or you may say his purpose. His purpose. You know, it's once said, you aren't living until you know why you're alive. It's a common phrase. What does purpose, what does calling actually matter to your life? Mark wants you to know all the stuff that Jesus did and how he did it was from the Father and the Spirit, and they were one doing this life together. Purpose matters for you. It's powerful. It drives you. It's a calling by God, and the Bible addresses a calling or direction or guidance from God over and over and over again. He wants us to know our purpose, our power of where to go and what to do and how to please him. And, and he doesn't leave us in the dark. And for, for many of us, we lean towards like teaching or we lean for this. But Mark is that, that, that guy that just says like, but I'm just going to show you. And he just goes straight to the, the point and just punches you with power and just says, boom, 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 boom. It's like, I like that. I like that I could look at something and just say, this verse says, do this, so I'm going to do this. And it's done. I don't got to figure it out. It's just FYI, I know Christmas is over, but women, just tell your husband or just what you want. It's the best. Hey, I would like this, or here's my shopping list. Amazon has made things so amazingly easy. It's like, I like this type of jewelry. Awesome. Let me buy it for you. We're done. That's sort of like Mark's approach. It doesn't seem very Christmassy, but the Bible says that our main purpose as humans is to give God glory and to worship him, to know him. And if we aren't doing this, then our own lives are out of whack. They truly aren't living the full potential of what God wants for us. If we don't know God and his purposes and plans for our life and who Jesus is, and so Mark just gets straight to the point. You guys want to talk about a baby? Great. Let's talk about his life. There's some implications to this whole thing. He skips the birth, goes right into the action of Jesus as an adult. Now, before we get into the text, before we talk more about God with us, the story, let's recognize and thank God for the diversity of the body of Christ. 
Just think about it. We've been going every month, each chapter, each approach. 1 Corinthians 12, 12 says this. For just as the body is one and has many members and all members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. God has made many of us. And when we talk about calling purpose, we have to talk about diversity. The Bible teaches that we are all different and have different approaches to the same thing. I just said our main role as humanity is to give God glory, but how do you give God glory? That's a personal thing. It can mean different for you than for other people. My tithe may be different than your tithe, but we're called to tithe. My love may be displayed different than your type of love, but we're called to love. There are principles in the Bible that point us to the person of Jesus and we're to obey his voice, his calling on our lives. And this is important to say, especially when talking about purpose, talking about calling, because we need to embrace unity and not uniformity. We can't compare ourselves. Too often, I know for myself, I compare myself to other Christians or other people. When it comes to even a pastor, a job, I compare my teaching or pastoring to other pastors and teachers. Or maybe I compare my marriage to that marriage or this relationship to that relationship. We just have this natural tendency as human beings to compare. And the Bible says this is not wise, especially when it comes to our individual purpose. Because if God is with us and knows us and made us individually, he actually wants to give us an individual call, an individual role. Paul would say, and I think it's 2 Corinthians 10, uh, 12, he would say it's unwise to compare with one another. That we should have some wisdom in God's calling on our life and seek him for our lives rather than seeking our purpose of what God said to that person. Does that make sense? When we talk about purpose, when we talk about action, Mark, he's writing about the life of Jesus. It's historically, some scholars say that maybe this was an account from like Peter, and Peter was giving the account and helping John Mark and writing this gospel. But we definitely know it was probably the later gospel, one of those things. And so let me personalize this for you. Imagine Mark when he wrote this gospel, and then read the gospel of Matthew. I know it's coming. Imagine him reading the gospel of Luke and thinking, I didn't even include the birth of Christ. What was I thinking? It's just sort of a funny thing because he didn't see it. He's wanting to get to the action, wanting to do the thing, the life of Jesus, and he just misses it. And if he were to compare his gospel to the other gospel, he would feel totally condemned. But if he just said, okay, I'm gonna do what God's called me to do. I'm gonna write the scripture and I'm gonna give it out. And it's gonna touch people's lives and they're gonna see Jesus. Then he can have fulfillment and purpose and calling. And too often what we do is we do what we think God is telling us to do and we're just totally fine and used by God and it's great. And then we look to someone else, even another believer and say, oh, but I didn't do that. Or they did this and I didn't do that. And it shouldn't be that way. We should pray and seek God for our own individual calling. And it's okay to have our own individual perspective, to have our own testimony, to have our own story and how we share Christ. Because Christ's purpose is for him to be glorified in us. Jesus wants to live in you as a believer. 
And he's given you gifts and you calling and you been born for such a time as this. And so your diversity and how you are different is beautiful to Christ. Doesn't matter about race or different social statuses or economic statuses or citizenship. Jesus is big enough for us all. And he's the head and we're members and we need one another and we need different perspectives in that. And so I wanna just highlight that for you because as we come to a conclusion, I want you to notice that. That Mark could have felt condemned or felt bad that he didn't bring it up, but I'm so glad that he didn't. That Mark's perspective was his own individual perspective and God used that. And just be reminded, God wants to use your perspective too. I understand most of you guys aren't gonna be preachers. You don't have any interest in speaking publicly or want to, want, want to do that as well, but God wants to use you and your perspective of what he's done in your life to bring him glory, to share the gospel. And don't underestimate your story, your way of how you express the gospel. You may say, I don't know very many verses or I can't argue this uh, string theory argument or this or that or whatever, and I don't know the science. It's okay. Wherever you're at in your faith, God wants to use you and you are a testimony to God's goodness. Mark is a testimony to God's goodness. In fact, at the end of his gospel, chapter 16, verse 15, he would say, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to all of creation. And so Mark, his perspective is actually important because what he highlights in this chapter is an aspect of the Christmas story that other gospel writers didn't highlight. And it's this, Christ's purpose and how he gives the Holy Spirit to us. How he gives the Holy Spirit to us. So, Mark starts, as Luke does, and highlights that Jesus was a part of God's plan, and he talks about this person, John the Baptist. John the Baptist, if we read it in verses one through four, it says, in the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written, it's another famous line that Matthew would use a lot, in Isaiah the prophet, behold, I send my messenger before you, before your face, who will prepare your way. And the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight, uh, make his path straight. Now John appeared, baptized in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Mark, just along with Luke, wants us to know and see the correlation between God prophesying and the reality of the situation. God speaking something and it coming true. Mark quotes Isaiah, Isaiah and some translations, or your Bible translation even says, instead of just Isaiah, it says Isaiah and the prophets, instead of the prophet. And it's true because this prophecy of a Messiah coming would be all over the prophets. In Malachi chapter three, verse one, Malachi chapter four, verse five through six, it would talk about how there would be a messenger, a forerunner, someone to speak forth and make way the path for Jesus to be known. In the spirit of Elijah, and this was spoken 400 years prior and God had been silent because he wanted everyone to know when this person comes, the Messiah is coming as well. And so Isaiah chapter 40, verse three would talk about this, but other prophets as well. And Mark is bringing up this highlight saying, when God says something, it will come to reality. God was going to send a messenger in the spirit of Eliza to make sure we all knew that this was the Christ. Meaning this, God didn't wanna just show up he wanted you to recognize that he showed up. He didn't just want to show. He wanted you to make sure that you know that you know that you know that this is him. And so he proves it and says, uh, this Messiah is going to be born in Bethlehem, Micah 5, 2. 
Oh, it's going to be of a virgin birth, Isaiah 7, 14. And he gets all this different stuff going on. He wants us to know this incredible reality that we can actually have a relationship with God because it seems so out of our universe, so good to be true, that God would pour out his love and his mercy on us rather than wrath and hell and condemnation for our sins. And so this is why in verse five and six, it explains John's ministry and bizarre behavior. Now, if you don't think this is bizarre, you should think it's bizarre. It's a little off. It's a little weird. This is not giving you context of a normal normal Jewish person. This is giving you context of John the Baptist and what he was doing out in the wilderness, wearing these weird clothes, had some weird hair, eating wild locusts, some wild honey, doing these certain things. He was preaching repentance in the desert. He was wearing a leather belt and ate locusts and wild honey. At first, this seems weird, but it was because John wanted us to see the correlation between the spirit of Elijah and John. If you go to 2 Kings chapter 1 and read it this week, you'll see that when Elijah shows up on the scene in Scripture, he has this bizarre outfit, or you may say trademark, of who he was and what he looked like. It's like you know this is John the Baptist. Elijah denounces this evil king in 2 Kings chapter 1 king of Israel, and a lot of the kings were evil in the day. And Isaiah was given this calling to the king to rebuke him to uh, this nation and tell them to repent. And we know repentance is a good thing, but our flesh rebels against repentance. It actually um, rebels against what God says. So this king was like, okay, I know you're telling me the truth, but I'm not down. I'm not in it. I'm just going to rebel against you, and I'm going to try to kill you, Elijah. Okay? And so the king didn't take his rebuke or his truth well. He wanted to harm Elijah, so he asked his servant to describe this mighty man of God and send this messenger. And so in 2 Kings chapter 1, verse 7 through 8, he said to them, what kind of man was who came to meet you and told you these things? Who told you this rebuke that I'm doing something wrong? Who, what was he like? Describe him, the king says. And the servants, they answered him and said, he wore a garment of hair, this weird, bizarre hairdo, this hair of camel with a belt of leather about his waist. And he said, it is Elijah the Tishbite. He gives this description of what Elijah looks like. This was like a recognizable outfit, a trademark of Elijah. And as you read the story and life of Elijah, you start seeing him doing weird things. Just like John the Baptist is doing these weird things. And John was embracing his calling, and so he was wearing a leather belt. He was preaching in the desert. He was doing these things to have us recognize that he was this forerunner, this spirit of Elijah. That's why in verse 7, John tells us that he is not the Messiah, but the messenger or the one who is pointing us to Christ. It says, and he preached, speaking of John, saying, after he comes, he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and to untie. And this is important for you and I. As people see uh, the ministry flowing through our lives, we should make sure we give credit to Christ and say, it's not us, it's, it's Jesus. John had that ministry, had that gift. It was a powerful thing. But he says, I'm not the Messiah, I'm the forerunner. Can't you see? I'm out here in the desert, in the wilderness. I'm eating locusts. This ain't for no reason, okay? 
It was specific. And we have verses in Isaiah and other prophecies saying that this would happen. And so the other gospel writers highlight the prophecy of John, but Mark is showing you him fulfilled. Remember, Luke is prophesying how John would be born. It was a miracle. Elizabeth couldn't have born children with Zechariah. But then John in the wombs filled with the Holy Spirit. He gets born. And now Mark is saying, it's all real. It's all true. Look, this guy that you may have heard about, this Messiah, this prophecy, it's all coming to pass right now in the life and work of Jesus. And he has this forerunner, John. And this is an important part of the Christmas story as well. The story that continues after the birth of Christ. This is probably the more important part that Jesus lived a perfect life that you and I couldn't live. That he taught. That he, we see God's character in the life of Christ as he lived this perfect life. Christmas doesn't just stop with the birth of Jesus, a baby, but it continues on. Christmas is the start of God making a way for Jesus to be with us for all eternity. The spirit of Christ with us. And this is why in verse 8, John gives us this Christmas message or the point, the heart of Christmas that God came to be with us. Because John says, I have baptized you with water, but he, speaking of Jesus, will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Isn't, isn't that the point of Christmas? Isn't that where we find joy? God's grace and favor that we can be submerged or Start a relationship with God himself, the person of the Holy Spirit, third member of the Trinity. Jesus came to make a way to be with us. And that started with him submitting to the Father in the plan of salvation before eternity's past to, to do these things and fulfill it a certain way. But it didn't end with the birth or even the life of Jesus on the cross because he rose again and promised the Spirit of God, John 14, 18, to be with us. That the reason why Jesus came was to, to die for our sins. Emmanuel, God with us, over and over to him. You, the angel said, you should name him Jesus for he will take away your sins. Sin separates us from God. And Jesus came and lived the life you and I couldn't live and died on the cross for our sins so we can be redeemed or brought back to a right relationship with God. And he shows us on the cross and in his resurrection that three days later he would rise again proving that he took away sin, that he defeated Satan, that he gives eternal life. And when we put our faith and our trust in this person, this man, this God, Jesus, that we will be saved, that we have fellowship with God because of his righteousness and so much so, the Bible says he's a high priest, one that intercedes. He rose again and he taught everyone what the scriptures would fulfill about him. And then he went and ascended into heaven and he is there right now interceding for you and I as a high priest, meaning he represents us before the Father. He doesn't need to die over and over again for our sins. It was a once and for all final payment. He cried on the cross, it is finished because he is our high priest. And he brings us close to God. And he gives us the person of God through the spirit of Christ. And he promised that as he was ascending and going to heaven, the, the disciples were like, wait, wait, wait. No, you're supposed to be with us. All the prophecy filled the Messiah. What about the kingdom? And the angels said, the two men said, why are you looking? He's going to come back as he went up. You now go to Galilee and wait. You will be powered. You will be empowered by the Holy Spirit. You will be a witness to Jerusalem, Judea, and all the ends of the earth. The promises that he gave to you about being with you 
You'll do greater things without him right here physically. He's going to give you the spirit of God because you're going to see that your sins are forgiven, that he truly is alive. And so the disciples go to, to the church and they uh, go to the upper room and they pray and they wait. And the day of Pentecost, the, the church is birthed and this Holy Spirit comes upon the disciples and they're immersed and baptized by the Holy Spirit. And given this purpose to be witnesses, to preach the gospel, to evangelize, to make disciples, to experience Christ, and then to, out of the overflow of their life, to be witnesses and testify of that goodness. For now, through the gospel, the temple of God, where God would dwell, would be with man. And Peter acknowledges this in Acts chapter 2. As he starts preaching to the people what's happening. He's saying these people aren't drunk. They're filled with the Holy Spirit. The prophecies of old are true. God was pouring out his spirit upon man because the work of Christ. In verse 33 in his famous message where thousands of people got saved, he says, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. You can see the Holy Spirit work in people's lives through the fruit of the Spirit. And you can taste and touch and experience God for yourself as you allow your body to be his temple and repent of your sin and ask God to come and fill you and to baptize you and immerse you and control you and submit to his will. There's fruit and he says, you can see it. This is the Holy Spirit. He is God and he is with us. Now the Holy Spirit, God's presence is not just for them back then or a certain message, but it's for all of us. All believers will receive this gift of the Holy Spirit because Jesus baptizes us in the Spirit. This is why Peter would say in verse 39 of that chapter in his message for the promises for you and for your children, and for, for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. That's you and I, those that are far off. In a specific, actual thing, meaning we're generations down the line, 2,000 years later, the promise is still for us today. But in an allegory, illustrational point as well, those that are far off, sinners, separated by God, we were born in our sin. Whenever you were born, 1983 for me, could have been a few more years later for you. But wherever you were born, you were born in sin, the Bible says. And the Bible says you need this promise. You need this gospel. You need this God to be saved and to experience him. And whoever, you, whoever the Lord calls, you can call upon the Lord and be saved. And that promise is for you. And this is what John is saying by saying he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. John just gets, or Mark just gets straight to the point. Don't forget, this is who God is. Your high priest, the great apostle sent by God from heaven to die for your sin. He lived a perfect life you couldn't live. He had this great ministry. He was a great teacher. You think I'm something special? No, I'm just a forerunner, someone to point you to him. He is the true light. I baptize you by water. He'll baptize you by fire. Water is an external thing that symbolizes something happening within your heart. Jesus regenerates us, renews us, makes us born again, new creations in Christ, and changes us from the inside out through the power of God himself, the Holy Spirit. He transforms us. He makes us new. He makes us alive. Through faith in Jesus, you can have God with you. You can have God in you. You can have God come upon you and empower you and give you purpose. And Mark wants you to know that. 
Isn't this the message of Christmas? Isn't this is why we celebrate? Now, it's not all the message. There is the birth. There is all these different things. It's not the only thing. But as we look at their approach of how they're communicating God with us, I think this is a pretty important aspect. Because if we don't capture this, we're going to just capture a tradition rather than a person, a principle rather than the gospel. The good news is, is we can have God with us. He loves us enough to dwell with us. And this is why the angels proclaim this good news in Luke chapter 2, verses 10 and 11. Fear not. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ, the Messiah, our Master, the Lord. And so we should be rejoicing this Christmas in every season that we can enjoy the power and the presence of God, that he is with us. And we should be asking as Christians for God to fill us to give us purpose, to empower us, to baptize us with fire, his spirit. To be a consuming fire and transform us and take away our flesh and the sins and the things that we so struggle with and enable us to walk in his ways. Now, three truths to close as we celebrate this baptism. Because this isn't all the story. I read a little bit more up to 15. I won't read them again, but I want you to understand as we embrace the person and the work of the Holy Spirit and we celebrate the baptism of the Holy Spirit, let's look at the rest of the text to just lean into this principle and understand the implications that we can walk away with as we go even into a new year. Number one, God gives us the Holy Spirit or his presence because he loves us, not because we earn it. He gives us this great gift because he is just awesome. It's not because we do a lot of great things and we have to beg for the Holy Spirit to be with us. He proactively did this. This is why he came. What do I mean by this? God loves us unconditionally and wants to bless us. This forerunner, this prophecy, this was all initiated by God so that you would be blessed and just receive the goodness of God. And you have to receive the Holy Spirit. Now, in this text, the Bible says that after in those days, Jesus of Nazareth went to John the Baptist. He got baptized in obedience. And when he rose up out of that water, the Holy Spirit ascended on Jesus, who was fully man and needed the power of the Holy Spirit. And God, the Father, spoke some words. He said, you are my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. God, the Father, was pleased with Jesus before he healed anyone before he had a big following or a crowd, before he was known as a preacher, even died on the cross, he was obedient and made the decision and obeyed out of love and God loved him, not for what he did, but for who he was. God loves you and I for who we are and not what we do. And we don't have to do this great ministry or I need to preach to 500 people so I can be filled with the Holy Spirit. No, I can ask God to fill me and to give me this gift of the Holy Spirit and to use my life, my preaching, if no one's even listening, because God just loves me. And God loves you. God loves you enough to give you the Holy Spirit to be a great husband, to be a great father, to be a great mom or friend, and just to be able to enjoy his presence. God sent the Holy Spirit to help Jesus in his humanity because of love. How much more do we need the Holy Spirit and God's love 
for us to follow the will of God. Most of us think in this life, if we do a whole bunch of stuff, then we can have favor. But God teaches us in this Christmas story, it's by God's grace that we receive the presence and power. You are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And that is what God speaks over us as we are in Christ. His blood covers us. We are completely righteous. And God looks at us as if we are Jesus in us. His blood covers us. So what does he look to you in all your imperfections? You're righteous. You're cleansed. You can receive the Holy Spirit and walk in power. It's who God is. The gospel makes us sons and daughters. And so God pours out his spirit on us. You don't have to earn it. You just have to receive it. You have to receive the person and the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. Number two, God's Spirit guides you. He guides us. The Holy Spirit guides us. We need guidance in our life. We need leaning or when we talk about calling, it is not always where you may want to go or may you, may, where you may even expect to go. But the Holy Spirit, you need the baptism of the Holy Spirit because you need to be guided by God himself and not your feelings, not your situations, not your circumstances, not your cultural background or your wisdom. You need God to guide you and to be with you in every moment of your life. And in verses 12 and 13, here's what we see. God is pleased with Jesus, so he guides him into the wilderness to be tempted by Satan. Not really what you're expecting. Jesus was guided says right here, by the Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit was leading Jesus into the wilderness, into hardship, into trial, into fight a battle. Never forget that the Holy Spirit is God and he knows what he's doing. That when he leads you, he leads you for a moment and for a reason, for his plan, for his glory. Jesus came to defeat Satan, to defeat sin, to defeat these enemies, and so the Spirit says, you want purpose? Let's go. You want to see my power? Let's go. You want to see a miracle take place? Let's be in a situation where you need a miracle. And he goes right into the wilderness and leads Jesus. And just as the Holy Spirit led Jesus into unexpected places, he will lead you and I into unexpected places. And he will prove to us who he is by his leading as we trust him and follow him. We should lean into his word and prompting, promptings for guidance and not be off guard when he guides us into places where we don't expect. This is a part of being baptized by the Holy Spirit, to let the Spirit just do his work and prove to us that he is God and we are not. In him all is wisdom. Lastly, or thirdly, from this text we read down to 14 and 15, the Holy Spirit will empower us to obey God's calling in our lives. Why do you need the Holy Spirit? Well, you need the Holy Spirit to guide you. But after you're guided, you need the Holy Spirit to help you walk that thing out, to live that trial out, to suffer well, to be a witness. He will empower us to obey God's calling in our lives. In verse 14 and 15, Jesus immediately battles Satan and then he starts to proclaim the gospel and the kingdom of God. We need the power of the Holy Spirit, his enabling to do God's will in our lives. From a heart change to actually walking out, personal discipline and strength will not cut it. You just don't have it in you. You're born broken. You were not God. 
The sooner you realize that, the sooner you could depend on God and allow the Holy Spirit to work in your life. And that is a part of the Christian life. Even Jesus was baptized by the Holy Spirit, so how much more do you and I need to be baptized by the Holy Spirit, to be led by the Holy Spirit, to embrace the Holy Spirit, the teachings of the Holy Spirit, the guidance of the Holy Spirit? We need God in our lives. Mark is a gospel of action, and yet I find it interesting he starts with the baptism of Jesus, with God's calling of affirmation of love. He starts with love, and so we see ministry is an overflow of love from Jesus' life because he has God's approval. He's not earning it. He starts with the personal relationship of the Holy Spirit and Jesus, of the Holy Spirit guiding Jesus and now empowering Jesus to be a witness and to preach the gospel. And then he goes on to all this crazy stuff that Jesus does. If you wanna do great things for God, you need to start with a relationship with God of accepting his love in your life, calling out the name of the Lord and being saved, and then being guided by the Holy Spirit, maturing your faith through the guidance and scripture by the power of the Holy Spirit to do those things and allow him to change your heart and to walk by faith the things he tells you to do. We need the Holy Spirit, just as Jesus embraced the Holy Spirit, we need to be embracing the Holy Spirit in our lives and saying, man, what a blessing this Christmas story is that God took away our sins and now we can have a relationship with God. And he wants us to know we can have the Holy Spirit. Remember, he wants us to know that we can have a relationship with him. The power of God and the presence of God with us. And so this Christmas, as we conclude, as we think about God with us, Think about the Holy Spirit, the person in the work of God. God is still with us. He promised that a Messiah would come, and Jesus promised that a helper would come. And he's fulfilled that promise. As we embrace and receive the Holy Spirit, Jesus is glorified. We need to be guided by the Holy Spirit. Enjoy the presence of God and his word, and we need to be empowered by God himself to serve out of the overflow of our lives. This Christmas, we wanted to just meditate and ponder on how God is with us. We embrace the Holy Spirit in our lives in this church and the doctrine, the third person of the work of the Holy Spirit, and we need to be baptized by the Holy Spirit. And so let's enjoy the power and presence today. Ask God as we sing this last song to fill you, to be baptized, to be consumed, immersed by fire. Sort of, a, sort of a freaky thing, isn't it? The Bible says in Hebrews, God is a consuming fire. But what that means is he'll consume your flesh, consume everything, and in the end, what will stand will be solid. It will be eternal. We need the Holy Spirit to convict us of sin, to transform us, to empower us. And the Bible says we need to remember it's by God's grace. That when we come together, we take communion, and we remember the reason why we're embracing the Holy Spirit is because we've already seen the goodness and love of God through the work of Christ. And if God promised Jesus as a Messiah and a Savior, then we want to embrace Jesus' teaching as him promising the Holy Spirit, a comforter, a helper, one that would transform us and renew us, and we could embrace the third member of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. This is Pastor Daniel Williams with Redemption Church. Thank you so much for listening to this message. You can subscribe to this podcast via iTunes, Google Play, or YouTube, so you never miss a message. The mission of Redemption Church is to pursue and to proclaim Jesus, and we would love to have you partner with us. 
Feel free to share these messages with your family and friends. And also, if you'd like to donate to the ministry, go to redemptiondb.com. God bless you.